0: Hello everybody, I'm Jacob Dettoni, and this is the FDI Podcast. Hailed by Republicans as one of the most important pieces of legislation in recent history, the tax reform approved by the Congress of the United States in December is now expected to have a deep impact on global foreign investment. The Tax Cuts and Job Act sharply increases the tax competitiveness of the United States and sets the ground for billions of dollars in cash held abroad by U.S. corporations to be repatriated, and perhaps even for the reshoring of some of their overseas operations. The US has been at the center of global FDI for decades as a source of capital as well as an investment destination. The tax reform changes the rules of the game now, and both investors and policymakers all over the globe are adjusting. I'm here in our studio in London, joined by Corny Finger, Editor-in-Chief of FDI Magazine. Corny, thanks for being on the show. What were your first thoughts when the reform got approved back in December?
1: Well, this is the Christmas gift that most of corporate America desperately wanted. As we spoke about in this podcast before at the Select USA Summit last summer in Washington, D.C. The majority of companies that we spoke to, especially some of the largest U.S. companies who also happen to be among the world's largest outbound investors, all said top of their agenda, top of their wish list for the Trump administration was tax reform. And for the most part, they've got exactly what they wanted, especially in terms of the headline rate being slashed. this was always a competitive weakness for the United States for FDI and something that was desperately wanted. So my, my first gut reaction is it was happy Christmas for most of corporate America.
0: Right. Even though ironically, most of these corporations, they were already uh, enjoying kind of much lower Uh, uh, corporation tax rate uh, through like very sophisticated planning. So in a way, probably the the, the, the bigger benefits are for kind of the mid and small size enterprise that, that didn't have the capacity to plan so much their tax efficiency in advance.
1: That's right. I mean, most of the big companies were finding their ways to avoid most of this tax net anyway, but that's part of the reason for the, the spirit of this reform anyway, which is coaxing some of that money back to the US.
0: Right. So, yeah, exactly. One of the main goals of the, of the reform is to attract back the billions of dollars in cash held abroad by um, US corporations and you know, to delay the payment uh, of a 35% tax rate upon a repatriation. Uh, and actually, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, UNCTAD, estimate, estimates that as much as $2 trillion could now find their way back in, into the U.S. economy. And I spoke to James Zan, who is the Director of Investment and Enterprise at UNCTAD, and this is what he told me.
2: The point is that if you look at these two trillions, they have been overseas, accumulated over there, and haven't been... Reinvested, and and it was neither repatriated back to the U.S. because they need to pay a very high tax. And now, whether it's repatriated or not, so companies have to pay 50 point, 15.5% of the of the tax repatriation tax. Therefore, all this cash will be free. That's that's why that we see there's a possibility of remitting them back for other purposes. For example, they can be used for paying back the dividends. Uh, to, to pay the dividends, they can be used for buy back the shares, especially when the, the price is going down. And they can be used for expansion of their existing investment facilities. Um, but we just wonder whether they will be used massively for greenfield investment, for new investment.
0: And this, I guess, this is one of the big uh, questions now. I mean, given the fact that there is a solid argument for these corporations to repatriate part of these profits, uh, how much, how big of a a portion of this uh, this money will be reinvested into the U.S. economy uh, as opposed to uh, money distribution through buybacks and dividends and so on and so forth?
1: Well, that's right. I think it's a given that some of this money is coming b- coming back to the United States. But what happens to the money is another question entirely, and there are just too many answers to that. It will depend a lot on each company and, and their plans for growth, and I think it'll be carved up as well, even for each company. Some have, have done token measures, for example, giving every one of their employees a $1,000 bonus, and so there'll be some showboating about that, um, I think it can also unleash uh, mergers and acquisition spree because some of this money might be used to acquire companies even overseas and will be used for dividends and so on, as you say. Inevitably, at least a little bit could go towards greenfield facilities, but I think that that might be a small piece of the pie.
0: Right, Actually, to incentivize uh, corporation companies to invest more uh, into physical assets within a the country, there is another part of the reform that actually... Uh, creates uh, specific incentives for investment into uh, physical asset. I discuss uh, this specific point with Philippe Wagman, who is a new European partner at global legal firm Clifford Chance, and this is what he told me.
3: So far, although it's pretty early still after uh, the tax reform was adopted, we are seeing that uh, parties are focusing more on trying to structure uh, U.S. deals as asset purchases. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a big part of the reason for that is the immediate write-off that's available to a buyer of 100% of the cost of tangible assets uh, that are used in a business located in the United States, Uh, so say a factory or equipment that's located in the United States still requires some some planning, but generally this does make – asset purchases more attractive relative to stock purchases, and in general, it makes purchases of U.S. businesses more attractive than before. I think the changes we talked about a minute ago uh, do create certainly additional incentives uh, for a U.S. parent company to invest uh, cash, including possibly cash from the repatriation uh, in in U.S. assets and U.S. acquisitions. Uh, that being said, I I don't think that the incentives are so powerful uh, that you know if if a particular opportunity doesn't have the right return profile, uh, that you know it's gonna uh, it's gonna encourage investment. Notwithstanding that in in that opportunity, uh, and I do think you're seeing you know some significant companies saying that uh, that they will use uh, large parts of the repatriated cash uh, to, to buy back shares or to pay special dividends.
0: So yeah, again, probably it's kind of a mixed picture. There is a, there, is a, there is a room for some of this money to be reinvested into the economy through physical assets, but definitely there is also a commitment by corporate America to, to, to give this money back to shareholders one way or another. And uh, this is just one aspect though, of the reform. And uh, w- another another major aspect that the uh, observers are tried to try to to flesh out in the last uh, in the last few weeks is how this reform can impact the investment into physical assets outside the United States by US uh, corporation for example in a region like the Asia-pacific region which has always been a destination of choice for American and investors from anywhere else in the world as like manufacturing app or like uh, their, their offshoring, uh, uh, operations. Uh, and now there is this question mark, uh, can this reform also trigger a repatriation of this fiscal reorientation of this uh, uh, investment from uh, regions like the Asia Pacific region back uh, into the United States? And I spoke about this uh, with uh, timer Bake, who is the chief economist of uh, DBS Bank, who is the biggest uh, uh, bank in, uh, in the Asia Pacific by, by, by magnitude of assets, and this is what he told me
4: you do have a large number of multinationals from the West that are registered either in Singapore or elsewhere, which do have large footprints around the region. But when we look at and the likelihood of those investments reversing due to the territorial taxation uh, changes that the U.S. brought forth in December, we don't think it's going to have much of an impact. The uh, reasons are the following. Number one, the statutory tax rate that is fairly well understood and discussed since uh, last December. So the OECD effective tax rate, even after the latest tax cut in the U.S., is not that much higher than what the uh, U.S. new rates are going to be. And the labor cost advantage and the embedded supply chain that exists in Asia provide significant additional margins for uh, factors of production that are based in Asia, uh, which will not be offset in any meaningful manner by the cut in the U.S. tax rate. So we don't think physical capital has any danger of being repatriated from the Asian region back to the U.S. So let's also remember that the outward FDI that the U.S. or any other country that has um, happened over the last two three decades is not necessarily to outsource factors of production. It is also to take advantage of the partner country demand. Uh, and therefore, again, a lot of physical assets that are in asia are not necessarily to subs- uh, you know take care of the needs of the us consumers uh, and and there's zero incentive or, or you know uh, arguments or anything compelling for that to move back to the
0: us so cordney do you do you agree with this do you think there is a, there is no incentive for us corporation to bring back their uh, physical investment back into the us
1: i would say there's uh, maybe little incentive i wouldn't go so far as to say no but i think he makes several excellent points mainly that it's not that tax is the only driver of an investment Correct. or cross-border expansion decision. There are a lot of things at play, supply chains, labor, cost as well as skills, and and so on. And And I think that we can't just assume that uh, it's a tax-driven decision. It's going to be complex for every company. And Asia, for example, if we, if we look at that, because that's what our guest was speaking about, it's as you mentioned, huge consumer markets and you'd rather keep a shorter supply chain. If you can manufacture cheaply in countries where you have an enormous customer base, it makes very little sense to haul that back to the U.S. just for a a marginal reduction in corporate income tax. Where I see it having an advantage is not just U.S. companies that maybe could expand facilities in the U.S. off the back of this, but foreign companies that previously had wanted to minimize their physical footprint in the United States in order to avoid the headline corporate tax rate now might be more incentivized to do so. And that's a that's an aspect of all this that's maybe been talked about a little bit less than how U.S. companies will react. And I think I don't think we're going to see a big boon and deluge of FDI in productive assets just because of this change but i do think what was maybe once a deterrent from the u.s has been removed and that's probably where where it has its relevancy
0: definitely this i mean in a way uh, this definitely upgrades uh, the the u.s proposition as an investment destination as a as a global competitor for fdi in uh, mm-hmm. all over the world so uh, you know over if you if you compare it vis-a-vis with uh, other regions like europe or, or australia so other developed markets mm-hmm. so in a way this really increases the the, the capacity of the u.s to attract investment for investment from companies from foreign companies and actually this is a um a, what, what what another consequence of this reform is definitely uh, this uh, the, the it triggers or at least put some pressure on governments all over the world to improve their 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 tax environment. Mm-hmm. And I guess from this perspective, one very interesting case is the European Union, because the European Union not only is competing with the United States for foreign investment as a bloc, but within the same European Union, there are different countries that are competing with, between themselves, or sometimes in a, in a pretty fierce way, mm-hmm. um, think of the case of Ireland, but also the Baltic countries or Eastern European countries that are all slashing uh, corporate tax rates to increase their, their capacity to, tra- to attract uh, foreign investments. So in a way, the European Union, from this perspective, is a crossroad. Uh, We've yet to know what will be the response of the the European Union, the European Commission, and uh, what will be the response of the single uh, member states. But I spoke about this uh, with uh, Christopher Spengel, who is a professor in Germany and a member of the Center for European Economic Research in Mannheim. And uh, let's see what you told me.
5: After the reform, um, dividend repatriation into the United States is tax exempt in the United States. And that means the relevant tax underlying um, repatriated dividends are the local taxes, say the taxes levied in the different member states. Okay? And that means that the tax rate differentials between EU member states, and they are quite, they are, they are quite um, elaborated, say, from 10 percent in Bulgaria up to 35 percent in Malta, yep. that they become increasingly relevant for the location of, of U.S. investment. Hmm. What I expect is that, that in particular, high-tax countries with considerable economic relations uh, to the United States should reconsider um, their the corporate tax system. But not, you know, if I take average countries which have a comfortable situation, like 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 the Netherlands, for 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 instance, they're in a good position, and um, I, I think um, there is no need, okay, to 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 reduce further the taxes.
0: All right. So, Cornelia, what, what do you expect that, uh, will happen in a? in Europe, at the European Union level, at the member state level, but also maybe from a British perspective now with Brexit, this maybe also gives uh, the United Kingdom a a big chance to to try to differentiate its offer in a post-Brexit scenario through aggressive tax cuts.
1: It absolutely does, and this was one of the arguments that had long been made in favor of Brexit, is right. to you know, free the UK from some of these uh, perceived shackles of, of the EU and its, its policies. And the UK had already reduced its corporate tax rate over the past few years, and some have argued that post-Brexit you could see a pretty aggressive reduction. And it probably is something the UK is going to have to do anyway to fend off competition from Ireland which right. is kind of making hay in the, um, about attracting companies that, that might be swayed against the UK in a post-Brexit scenario. I think it makes it difficult for those in the EU who wanted to sort of put pressure on the low-tax countries in the EU to increase their rates. I think it will really – this kind of competition from the world's FDI heavyweight makes it very hard for the likes of, say, Ireland and the Baltic states to really want to – increase their increase increase their tax rates it puts a lot of pressure too on a country like germany which is probably the u.s's nearest real competitor in europe if you think about it big market also advanced level of skills but a manufacturing and exporting nation it's very similar to the u.s in that respect and one edge that germany used to have over the u.s was corporate tax rate and that edge is gone so i think it puts pressure all around.
0: Definitely. And actually in case of Germany, but also of other countries at the core of the European Union, like France or Italy, or Spain, uh, is very high now because they haven't got as much fiscal space to push through aggressive tax cuts. Mm-hmm. So it remains to be seen how they will decide to compete uh, for investment after this uh, this reform and how they will try to fit or how they will try to, to steer the debate at the European Union level, where actually up until up until now the the whole debate was focusing on how to increase pressure on uh, us corporations that supposedly were 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 finding any way to to avoid uh, taxation or to increase their tax efficiency so also the the, the outcome of this debate now uh, in the light of this reform will uh, will uh, will is is uncertain
1: yes and in a way it's a bit of an own goal for EU regulators who, so companies like Apple and Google and so on, who were facing a huge amount of pressure over what tax they were and weren't paying in the in the EU now have a great reason to just say forget it and yank that right. <laughs> out yeah. and take it back to the US, which was, again, part of the purpose of this reform in the first place. So I think it does put the EU in a really difficult position going forward.
0: And at the same time, uh, again, other policymakers around the globe are uh, becoming more assertive uh, in the, after this uh, tax reform, for example, in China, uh, right at the end of uh, 2017, they approved uh, some measures to incentivize their investment, their domestic reinvestment of uh, of uh, profits of earnings by foreign investors. So again, y- you see that, that there there are authorities all over the world reacting to this reform, and in a way, from this perspective, the European Union seems to have uh, his hands uh, tied up in mm-hmm. a bit. So uh, you know, maybe the, 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 there is a risk. Uh, also with Brexit uh, uh, you know coming up uh, there is a risk that uh, they may end up losing uh, losing out on, uh, after, after this reform. Uh, but yeah so Cornie, what, what would be the, your final take on uh, on uh, on this?
1: Well I think what what all of this discussion illustrates is that this reform, despite just being you know the reform of one country in the world, is going to be hugely disruptive to mm-hmm. the FDI landscape. And the outcomes are many, not just because of the U.S. potentially getting money back home. So it affects U.S. outbound investment. And the U.S. is still the largest generator by projects of greenfield investment. So that's significant in its own right. Any disruption to those flows are important. Also, it impacts FDI going into the U.S. And then, as we've just discussed, the ripple effect of of other countries having to react to this policy, so I think it's a it's a ripple effect that's just going to go on and on, and is actually going to have huge implications in the global FDI landscape in the next few years.
0: Right, right. The butterfly effects, in Absolutely. a way couldn't have been clearer in this case. Yes, and it's also, I mean, it's also clear that this reform also frees up a lot of resources, anyways, for U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, corporation to to invest domestically and abroad. So yes, uh, there there will definitely be winners and losers. Uh, but probably, if you look at the overall stock of FDI coming out of the U.S. originated by U.S. investors, this is probably, you know, going to to increase because of bigger availability of more money uh, to spend. More money to spend. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you, thank you, Courtney, for being on the show. Thanks, everybody, for for listening. You can find uh, all our podcasts on FDIintelligence.com/slash/podcast or on iTunes or Acast. Stay tuned.